Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get from Canada, Ryan and Jason. Welcome to the Worst of the Best Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and with me today, as always, as of late, is Jason. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Good. Jason, have you ever found anything of value in your life, meaning like an item that was something that you thought was rare or anything? Have you ever stumbled across any kind of treasure or anything like that in your life? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> I have found very little value. Up to 48 years, I've found very little value really in anything, <laughs> except for like this podcast. Oh, wow. Some value in this podcast, which will, and uh, spoiler alert, this podcast will not provide any monetary value in your life either. I'm sorry. It's just good time spending with you. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is interesting. This is an interesting topic. These are people who just went about their daily activities, whether it was going for a walk or, but it's just crazy how some of these people were just, in, well, they're incredibly lucky. And they happen to have either in their possession, stumbled across an item throughout their everyday activity, and they became millionaires, literal millionaires, due to just, oh, this is great. I found this. And what is this? Yeah. Happen chance, right place, right time. Hasn't happened to me yet. No. I hope it will. I recall our dad, he's a a heavy machinery operator, which is like those what is the term that he – what does he operate? Excavator. Excavator. Thank you. I always forget that word. <laughs> he, he's wow. Been, yeah, I know. He's only been doing this since uh, a lifetime before you were born up until still. 73 years old and he's still going strong. <laughs> it's his excavator. It actually is pretty crazy that our dad is – yeah, 73. And he goes to work every day operating an excavator. Throughout his digging, he's come across a few things in his digging. And it's kind of fun. I remember when we were kids, he would bring home stuff that he had – Un- yeah. unearthed one of them was i remember remember it's like that a whiskey kind of a whiskey bottle jar clay that was brown yeah a two-tone wasn't it like yeah. a dark brown and a, a light brown and had that uh, screw on lid yeah 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 oh yeah he washed it i think there was actually a collection i think there was more than just one it was probably those, but- an early vancouver island settler or back in 1800s it was fort victoria and they're Probably house somebody's whiskey, you know? Like, it's kind of cool. I'm not quite sure what it would have held, but... Or water, or who knows, but it was clay or ceramic or something, whatever they would have used back then. But There's been a, other, it was, a few other items that I, I can kind of recall. Can't really describe what they were or what the uses of them are, but fossils. There was a few times you'd come home with fossils. Yeah. We never got any of them assessed, though. Uh, our dad should have got them assessed. We could be, maybe we could stand in there millions. <laughs> maybe we would have to be doing this podcast. Oh, man. It's like, okay, keep digging, Dad. Let us know if you find anything. We'll get it assessed. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. So these are 10 examples and 10 stories of ordinary people who made astonishing discoveries that made them millions of dollars overnight. Number 10. In the fall of 1980, this guy named Kevin Hillier and his family, they were traveling up and down the Australian coast in a van searching for work opportunities. So that's the irony here. They were they were looking for work in 1980. 
going up and down the road, like, you know, looking for maybe help wanted signs. Uh, right. Just little odds and end jobs. So Hillier had been making ends meet by doing, you know, these odd jobs throughout the years. But he suffered a back injury. And the doctors told him, you know, you need to cut back on your physical labor. Cut back on physical labor at the same time. So this obviously, you know, inhibited his odd job type activity. But right. he took up the interest in, I don't know how old metal detecting is. And this metal detecting will come up a few times in our stories. And this is probably why people do this as a hobby. It's probably fun this to find This is exactly out. why. They, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was actually out at Esquimalt Lagoon a couple of days ago and... There's a, you know, I'm not sure, husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend walking up and down the beach with the metal detector and headphones on and just looking for like the lost wedding ring or change in the sand. And I've always been intrigued to try it. Now, but. 1980 metal detector, I'm sure it wasn't too light. So it's interesting that he had he had to cut back on his mm. physical labor, but he had to hoist this thing around and go, because you have to wave it back and forth and you put it on your back. And I'm sure, is it? Are they heavy? They're not, they're not that heavy, oh, no. Okay. All right. So Hillier's wife would often pray, Jason, that they would discover their fortune through this newfound hobby. She prayed, please, dear Lord, will my husband find something? The family, all the same, continued to struggle until this one day in 1980, when outside the small town of Wedderburg, Victoria, Australia, Hillier's dream became an unbelievable reality. So while he was walking out with his metal detector, Hillier really did discover a gold nugget that couldn't initially, it was so big, it couldn't be pulled out of the ground. So he found this thing, gave it a tug, and he couldn't dislodge it from the earth. So after many hours of digging, they did manage to extract a gold nugget that weighed 61 pounds. Wow. And he sold that gold nugget to the Gold Nugget Casino. In Las oh, Vegas. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah I, I got a picture of it. It's there today. It's there yeah, today I saw for... it there when I was in Vegas a little bit ago. I didn't realize that was, I mean, it's not that big. I didn't realize it was 61 pounds. I guess density, right? I, guess... I mean, it's big. It's a, it Obviously, it's big, but. So $1 million. Yeah, he got ripped off. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. So $1 million in 1980 is $3 million today. So still, not a bad chunk of change, Jason. If you were given $3 million right now, it changed your life. Yes. And the difference, though, here is it's not just that it's $1 million. It's what the worth of gold is. Right. You have to put into, you know, what is gold worth in 1981 versus what it is worth today. Then do the inflation. Well, that would be a lot of or, research that we don't do. But let me do how much. No, I know. <laughs> we don't do any research. One pound of gold worth. Let's just do that right now. Yeah. So, how much is one pound of gold worth right now? As of right now, Jason, it's worth $21,000. So, 61 times. 22,000. Oh, you got about fair market value. It's worth $1.3 million. So he got fair market value. Wow. I'm very surprised by that. I I know the 61 pounds, because you know, you talk about panning for gold back in the day. This guy found 61 pounds of it in one find. You thought it'd be worth more, but he actually got pound for pound. He pretty much got what it was worth. Oh, good for him. Yeah. If I find a chunk of gold like that, I don't really have the expertise to do anything with it. So right. you have to rely on others to give you what it is that they're willing willing to spend on it. Good for him. And That's it's awesome. interesting that gold was formed that way. I don't know if gold is formed that way in those kind of chunks. Is that common or is it? I is that it's why it's t- on display? I think it's just on. No, I think it's on display because it goes along with the uh, the casino. 
but that's a pretty large nugget, I think, to find. I don't think you find nuggets of gold that big in the world. I'm not sure. I'm not. I've never. No, there are there are nuggets. I, I know that there's locations. I think there's a park in the state somewhere you can go and people can find little nuggets. And there's been bigger chunks and smaller chunks over the years. But that's the biggest one ever, though, right? The Australian one, the biggest one ever. I think so. It's got to be. Yeah. Okay. Number nine, Jay. Yeah. So in January of 1999, an unnamed man was playing a board game about fine art titled Masterpiece. Remember this game, Ryan? Yeah. Okay. So when I saw this, I did some research. I was like, I think we played this. So I went on we YouTube. Did. YouTube has everything. It's cra- it's crazy. You know, Masterpiece gameplay. I went on YouTube. Somebody, you know, walked you know, walked you through the game, showed you the game pieces. And I was like, we played this game, Jay. We played Masterpiece. Yes. Do you remember what it's about, or I can explain? You it. know, it's funny. Basically, an art dealer, right? Yeah, you're yeah, you're an art dealer, and you either gave money to the bank or art to the bank, or you sold private auctions, and people didn't know what your paintings were worth. It was all randomized. You could have a forgery and all this stuff. <laughs> it was a fun game. I can't believe we played this as kids. What we did. So it just dawned on me that yes, we did play this game. So the game uh, masterpiece uh, he was playing this game so when he recognized a picture that was painted in a similar style to a painting he had bought to cover a hole in the wall of his indiana home so talk about the odds of these two things happening right now right if he never played that game ever or happened to play that game you know or didn't get that piece or that card the game masterpiece deals with artwork and i believe they used real art Yes, like, yes, they did. Like they would take real pieces of art. So he saw something that was similar to it in his house. He his interest peaked and he started to do uh, internet searches. He came across a gallery in New York and sent them pictures and a description of what he had to get their assessment on it. So after sending some of his pictures and a description of the painting in his home to experts at the gallery... The owner was shocked to learn that his acquisition was actually a lost work by Heed. The piece was still in its original frame. That's pretty cool. Yeah, actually. That's crazy. Original frame. And it was in a remarkable condition, considering it was painted in the 1890s. So this artist's name was Martin Johnson Heed, if anyone's interested. So it was an American artist, Martin Johnson Heed. Heed's Magnolias on Gold Velvet Cloth as the painting was titled, was eventually purchased by the Houston Museum of Fine Arts for more than $1 million. Crazy. But I've heard other, even more local people, somebody knew somebody who bought a painting at a garage sale. Right. It ended up being a local artist that was semi-famous and renowned. Bought something like for like 10 bucks, sold it for like 14000 this actually happens yeah. quite not was it quite common? It's common enough. There's YouTube channels, there's TV shows about this kind of stuff. About you have something that's you know the antique roadshow was big on this. You know, so you'd have what you thought was exactly. a five cent knickknack, but it ends up being you know yeah five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And so this guy he had this. <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, a, I, he, he bought a painting to cover a hole in a <laughs> wall. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to do any drywall. I'm not going to repair. I'm just going to go to like a garage sale. Yeah find a painting what put the hole in the wall did he punch the wall out of frustration one day that's what i love it's a journey he has a hole in the wall he doesn't fix it like you said he decides i'll just cover it up 
And then he happens to buy the pitcher that it is, and he's playing the board game. A game. In 1999 of all times, which this game is, you know, I think it's from the 70s. So this game already was 20-odd years old when he's playing Yeah, it. like, you know, we probably played in the 80s. And you can't early. buy it anymore. This is not a common game you can buy. You can only buy it on eBay. It's not made right. anymore. So this is all these things. Yeah, to- a lot of things had to align. Yeah. All right, that's fun. All right, number eight. The Declaration of Independence. Now, I didn't realize this about the Declaration of Independence, but they made 200 first edition copies. Yes. And they were made by a guy named John Dunlap. I guess it makes sense because, you know, it's funny because they didn't have, of course, radio, TV, the internet. Of course. So they created 200 first edition copies so that the message of the Declaration could be carried across the nation. I'd be interested to know where they ended up, all 200. It'd be kind of fun just to know the story of each one. Who read it? Who opened it? Who were these read to? Because only 26 copies were known to survive that distribution. That's so crazy. So there might be still some out there right now. Yes, or fragments, or for sure. And only three of them right now, Jason, are currently in the hands of private collectors. So one such copy was discovered again behind a painting that the collector only bought because he liked the frame. (laughs) So he goes to some sort of art collection gallery. I really like that frame. So he takes apart the frame, you know, I guess to take the painting out that was in the frame. So he buys, literally buys. Yeah, that's like when you go to like store, Walmart, and you buy the frame and you take out that little stock photo of the family in it. Yes. That comes with the frame. And there's a million dollar check behind it. That's exactly what's happened here. So he takes apart the frame. Apparently, this first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence was, quote, unspeakably fresh. And it was folded up behind the picture. A friend of his encouraged him, look, you got to contact somebody to get this uh, looked at. And they did because of its remarkable condition. It was auctioned first in 91 for $2.5 million, not too shabby. But it got re-auctioned in 2000 for $8 million. So the original guy gets $2.5 million, sure. But then the second person who owns it in 2000 got an $8 million. Talk about an investment, right? $8 million. So $8 million in 2000, there is a bit of inflation. In today's money, $12.2 million. That, man, that's a good chunk of change. Curious what the two million and ninety one would look like. So two million and ninety one. So the original. Oh, you walked away three and a half million. Change your life. What's weird about this though? It's the Declaration of Independence. In some ways, doesn't it seem almost like it should be worth more? Maybe because there are still there's still twenty six known copies to have survived. So they're out there. It's not though rare. It's not. I guess hyper rare. It's not the only copy or one of five. Yeah. It's and there were two hundred made, granted, but twenty six are known to survive. So it is rare. I mean, only three private collectors have one. If you're rich, you're one of those three. You, can you imagine being? Hey, check this out. That's a pretty cool thing to show. See, your that's rich what friends. I'm saying. Like of all the documents, right? Sure. In American history, that you have a piece of of three hundred fifty plus million people who live in the United States. There's like twenty six of them. Anyway. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, this one's really interesting. Yeah, right. it is. In November of 1992, a farmer was working his fields in Suffolk, England, when he realized he had lost his hammer. <laughs> a hammer. Yeah. Who really looks for the lost hammer? But anyway, knowing it could take years to search for it alone and not willing to give it up as lost and buy a new one, he asked his friend, Eric, to bring his metal detector over an attempt to locate his missing tool. Instead of going to the store and buying a new one, he actually calls his friend to get a metal detector. <laughs> All this time was spent <laughs> in energy to find the hammer. It would have taken less time and energy, yes, to go to the store and buy a new one. To but... go to the store and buy a new one. Yeah. 
Maybe it was a really good hammer. Maybe. I mean, some hammers are quite expensive, sure, but, but it was his lucky day to have lost a hammer. Yeah. Not long into the search, Eric picked up a signal. So he began digging in the soil where he, his reading was strongest. It quickly became apparent that he had not found the hammer, but instead stumbled across something much more exciting. After digging up a few shovels full of gold and silver coins, Eric quickly contacted police and archaeologists to inform them of the, his discovery. They found what is now is now referenced as the Hoxney Hoard, which is about 60 pounds of gold and silver objects, including 15,000 coins that dated from Roman occupation of Great Britain. It's crazy. So Mr. Laws received over two and a half million from the British government as compensation for his remarkable discovery, which he split evenly with the landowner who eventually found the hammer, which has sparked <laughs> the, initial, the initial search. I love it. The hammer is still found. I love it. So two and a yeah. half million in 1992. This one is very interesting. Like I watched a little YouTube video on it. I mean, the little blurb that we talked about here doesn't really describe the history of this horde backstory. It's fascinating. And all the little items that they did find. What an amazing discovery in the Roman occupation of Great Britain. My understanding was is that this was like hidden. The families would hide stuff from occupiers. Was that the idea? From what I remember from the, the little video that I had watched, they believe that it was like a mixed family of a Roman and Britain. And then they hid kind of maybe even sentimental or own personal historical significance to them. What happened to those people that they didn't go back to redig it yeah, up? Oh, this is well, this ties into a couple of things that we were talking about here is the idea that something was buried and it was buried for a reason and then not recovered. Their children's children didn't know about this. Did they just get killed off, Maybe. died of disease, or yeah? And then the land just—it obviously had been occupied for generations, and you happen to buy the land that it's on, having never dug in that area. What was he doing with the hammer in that area? Seems like an odd. Like, what was he building? Because it was in a field, maybe. Maybe a house fence? or shack or fence. Yeah, fence, put in posts. Who knows? We want to know. Our question is, what were you building with that hammer? So in today's money, he was given $4.2 million. Nice. Yeah. Now, I've heard of opals. This is number six. I've heard of opals. I never thought anything of them, but I guess they're something that's quite unique. So in 99, a man that we'll call Bobby, he was an older gentleman from Australia. He decided to retire and to sell all of his equipment. He was a opal miner. and He'd been doing it for the last 20 years. I watched the video, and he seemed to be a, probably at least 65. Not in the best health of shape, so I, I'd put him about 65, good age of retirement. So he's been doing this for 20-odd years. The last day on the job, the last bucket on the last day of the job, he noticed something in particular that was bigger than usual, more shiny than usual. It happened to be a... Did you mention where it was? Yes, yeah, so it was in Australia. Interesting. Uh, uh, another so, Australian. Yeah, another Australian discovery. Uh, yeah. Bobby worked carefully for months to reveal the beautiful opal, which he eventually actually named the royal one. He kept it under his bed in a kangaroo skin pouch as well around his neck for more than 14 years, despite having the expertise to know just how potentially valuable it was. It was the last bucket on his last day of the job. So he held on to this thing for 14 years. So I may have did my math a little bit wrong here. I saw the video of him telling the story. He looked a little bit older, so maybe he retired around 55, 60, because he looked about 70. So anyways, he uh, held on to this thing for 14 years, Jay. But he finally showed it to an Opal jeweler, and they bought it off of him 
for $3 million. It was a 306-carat high-quality black opal, and it really is a beautiful-looking piece yeah, of jewelry. Yeah, that's nice. But he held on to it for 14 years. He finally gave it up, and he got $3 million for it. I don't know what his financial situation was before this. Let's hear the story. It's only a minute and a half. Let's hear it. To prove what it was. Do not let his tough guy look deceive you. It's top of its class. A stone this beautiful can make even a grown man weep like a baby. It made me cry when I saw it. Pretty sure it will make most people gasp at least when they see it. Ugh. Look at that. You are looking at one of the most precious, valuable opals in the world. A once in a million lifetimes discovery. I think it's a miracle. Bobby is the Australian miner who found the opal. After a long and hard career in mining, he sold his tools and retired. You get it when the good Lord's ready to give you a bit of it. Just then, someone handed him one last bucket of dirt. The dream of finding a stone like this that keeps them going every day. Something shiny caught Bobby's eye, and after he chipped away at it for six months with a dentist drill, this is what he found. That gives you a buzz, I can tell you. A 306 carat stone with the most impressive color, clarity, and size. And even for opal experts, it takes their breath away. There's good or better than anything that's ever been found. Bobby is now ready to share his gem with the world. It's just mesmerizing. And he's picked Catherine Jetter, a Santa Fe jewelry designer, to sell it. The Hope Diamond of Australian Opal. She was born in Australia herself, and Jetter really loves her opals, but she never imagined in her wildest dreams to see one like this. Oh my goodness. What are opals? Okay, so this is a 306 carat one. And it's huge and it's gorgeous. Okay, so opals is a hydrated amorphous form of silica. It's classed as a mineraloid. Opal is a sedimentary stone. It's okay. a stone that we just have deemed to be valuable. Well, because they shine and they have their... Like, oh, it's, that's a beautiful... Yeah. In 1999, you got three and a half. I just like doing the inflation because it tells you what you'd walk away with today. So yeah, $5.4 million you got this guy. I do wonder what it would have been worth 14 years earlier. I mean, he must have been well enough off that he didn't feel the need to sell it right That's away. a good point. He probably wasn't panicking about it. And as he got older, he's maybe like, oh, maybe somebody would get a kick out of this. And I, I love how that young jeweler is like, just like, this is amazing. So I wonder what she made off of it. I'd be curious to know after she formed it into jewelry. I almost would be ashamed to, to wreck it. do anything to Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of stones, we're going to talk about another one. The stone Tanzanite is an incredibly rare mineral that can only be found in one place on Earth, the African nation Tanzania, from which the gem gets its name. I've never heard of a Tanzanite. Oh, yeah, I I have. Okay. What it was or what it is, I, I couldn't tell you. And it makes sense that, you know, the name derives from Tanzania. Right. And the rarity of Tanzanite makes it extremely valuable. And mining this gem provides a valuable source of income for many budding entrepreneurs and treasure hunters in the country of Tanzania. Out of all the people who spend their lives searching for Tanzanite, so Mr. Laser must be considered the luckiest. In June of 2020, his mining operation in Tanzania recovered the two largest examples of the mineral ever recorded, weighing 20 pounds and 11 pounds. Wow which he sold it to the Tanzanian government for more than $3.4 million. Amazingly, Laser wasn't ready to retire after his new fortune. Just two months later, wow. in August of 2020, reports suggest that he found another huge piece of Tanzanite weighing 14 pounds, worth an estimated $2 million. Thankfully, he found these stones because Laser has 30 
children to care for. I know there are nations in Africa that practice polygamy. I would assume this is what's going on here. It can't be one woman bearing 30 kids. <laughs> or Despite. a lot of girlfriends. He still promises to build a school and a medical center. So, Well, his kids have to go somewhere for school. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Between the three? Yeah, three and a half. And two, so five and a half million dollars he walks away with. Not bad. Those are just three of the stones. He's probably obviously been mining for some time before that. So, yeah. so he's, that's yeah. why he's probably not retiring. He just sounds like he's smart. He keeps working. Found more. Mm. Knowing this guy, he's like, you know what? I've done it twice. At the end of the day, he'll still just have a job and wants to build the community. Sounds like a decent guy. Yeah. As far as stones go, it's beautiful, too. Oh, actually. We can get a clean piece out of it. We see the shape. We try to get out of it. If whatever is appropriate to make oh. a round of it or a trillion out of it or an emerald cut out of it, whatever is more appropriate, whichever can give us a better yield for the stone, a better color for the stone, we preform it. Oh, interesting looking stone. I wonder what it's formed of that it's only there. Yeah, I don't. That's something everyone can Google. Now, this one's really interesting. So we've been talking a lot about stones and gold and what have you, but this is a, an interesting find. This is number four. In the UK, there's obviously been many archaeological finds there due to the world's history in the UK. Valuable metals such as gold and silver. I didn't know this, but gold and silver, Jason, in the UK cannot be sold privately. You have to turn it over to the government and the museums and what have you. You'll still get a, what's called a finder's fee, like the Hoxney Horde guy. You'll get yep. a finder's fee, but you can't sell it on eBay or private auctions. But you can with copper. So this next item wasn't covered by those laws. This was a mask. It was a Roman cavalry helmet. It was in an unbelievable condition. Bronze. Age. Sorry, I just want to clarify. It's a bronze mask. Bronze mask. That's right. Sorry. This is a bronze ceremonial Roman cavalry helmet. And this is really interesting because it was only one of three, I think, that we have in the world today that has to complete what's called a face mask because of its rarity and the fact that it could be purchased by anybody. So it's open to the world public, you know, to buy this helmet. It was sold for $3.6 million in 2010. And I don't know if you saw a picture of this helmet. It's hard to describe to our listeners, but wow. Yeah. So this is what's crazy. So it's like a conical helmet. It's a cone on top. And then even the top of the helmet itself has this intricate like horse carving. And then around the hairline, it's, it looks like a hair has been made to look like hair, curly hair. And there's an actual face mask to yeah, protect the face. It's kind of like if a death mask. Yeah, it, a death it, mask. It's over, some... Yeah. That's crazy. But I love how it's eyes, nose, and mouth. Like You wouldn't even have to necessarily have that to protect your face from... But it's like artistically done. This will protect your face from being hit from arrows, let's say, or... Ceremonial. Sure. Fair enough. So it's for show. But that must be heavy to wear, too. It can't be light on your head. I don't have any indication here how much it weighs, but that would be very cool to find that. It, it literally looks like somebody's real face. And this was found by another... Metal Metal detector. detector. <laughs> I gotta buy one. <laughs> I gotta try it out. Well, you won't find any Roman artifacts in Victoria, Jay, but yeah, you might find something. Well, maybe gold. Yeah, gold for sure. The Vancouver Island was a gold mining town at one point. Yeah, that's a cool find. Yeah, it was. So another historical find in the Europe area... This one is the Staffordshire Horde. It was another metal detectorist named Terry was searching a field in Lichfield, England in July 2009 and came across an area with a uniquely strong signal. Almost immediately after breaking the surface of the ground, the man knew he had discovered something special as he started to uncover an astonishing stash of gold, weapons, and ornaments that had lain undisturbed beneath the surface for over 
1,300 years. Man, that's cool. Yeah, it is. Just another, we're going to bury this stash of stuff with a hope of coming back to it. Yep. And dealing with it later. A lot of war treasure in the world has been that way. You know, sunken ships or stuff like the convoys, and they just get lost and nobody knows where they are. It's still out there. There's still stuff out there right now. Treasure chests. Yeah. Now, it's become known as the Staffordshire Hoard, referred to as a war hoard dating back from 600 to 650, which is an especially turbulent period of England's history. Experts believe that the items were captured in battle by armies from the Kingdom of Mercia, which was at war with the neighboring regions of North Umbria and East Anglia at the time. Although how it came to be buried in a field far from any known buildings or roads, we will probably never know. So I'm envisioning this guy going, they pillage a, a home. Actually, it wouldn't just be one area, right? You would think that they would go like, I'm going to pillage this house right. and this house. And, and they just gather all their stuff that they're stealing from other people or places of business or whatever. And then seeing some guy just digging in the middle of a field, maybe putting a... A marker there or something? Uh, and they must have tried to mark it with something. Yeah, fascinating. So the hoard was purchased by Birmingham Museum for more than $4.3 million, and it's still available for the public to view. I agree with the government on this one that it's yeah, kind of nice for let other people view this. Let the person get that finder's fee, great, but it's nice to let other people view this. It is of historical significance. Yes. Indiana Jones, so. that's what he was about. It belongs in a museum! So, anyway, 4.3, but it, uh, it, the money was split evenly between the guy who found it and the landowner. Nice. Sir, what year was that again? 2009. 4.3 million in 2009. So, a little bit of a, there'd be a little bit of a... would be a little bit of a bump. Uh, so, 5.4. So, about so, a million? Yeah, 2.7 each. That's not bad. I'll take it. Yeah, for your $300 metal detector, that's a pretty good investment. <laughs> a lot of people are going to be doing metal detectors now. I have been tempted to do it. It does seem intriguing. Sure. No shame in that. Now, this one's really funny. Number two, Jason. <laughs> I love this one. So this is another painting, much like our earlier story of the Heeds. Mongolia's on gold and gold velvet cloth painting. There's a painting here called Christ Mocked. It's by an Italian artist. I apologize for my pronunciation. His last name was Simabu. Now, this painting, Jason, hung over a stovetop in a French farmhouse for decades. And the owners just thought it was a religious Russian relic from days gone by. And over time, decades of being over this stove, it was darkened by the stove's heat and grease and dirt. It wasn't until 2019 when the old lady living in the house was going to move into a retirement home. It was inspected. Somebody who came in to categorize her house and her belongings just to see if anything was worth as they basically going to Strip the house apart, either to tear it down and build a new one. or So they probably said, hey, mom, you're right. too old to be here, but you have so much stuff. Let's just do an auction. It's kind of like like a garage sale. The painting was looked at. And they're like, hey, this painting looks kind of unique or interesting. And it was. It was one original. It was original painting, of course. One of only 11 by this artist. So this guy didn't paint and release very much, but he's well known. Because he kind of changed the style of painting back in the day. It was sold. This is a big one, Jay. The, because of its rare rarity and by the artist that it was painted by, it was sold for $27 million. And it went to the woman. That's awesome. The reason why it was also sold for so much, because this was a private auction. This was put up for auction. 
It was purchased by two U.S.-based collectors who specialized in Italian Renaissance art. But the French tried to stop it by imposing a 30-month ban on the export. They're trying to raise money so that the painting mm. could remain in France and eventually be displayed in the Louvre. But uh, <laughs> those Americans bought it out. Oof. I understand France wanted to keep it, but uh, money talks, right? What's yeah. interesting with this painting, Jason, is that it hung you know, over the store for decades. So, you know, kids are growing up. They're seeing that. Think of our grandparents, Jaden. I remember our grandparents having like paintings in their house, something you and I would see. We would see it for years. They had the same paintings up in their home, same artwork, yeah. whatever it was. That's what these people experience. You know, these kids, the kids have had kids and grandma just happens to have this painting on her stovetop that it probably everyone saw and little did they know what they were holding. That's so weird. It's one of 11 paintings. So that's what's fascinating by the story alone is just who purchased it? Was this given as a gift and the gift was given to someone else and then it would land in their home? It's just, yeah, it's what a journey that painting must have gone through. But there's no history of that, I don't think. It doesn't sound like it. Fascinating. Well, speaking of... Russia. I mean, they thought that was a Russian religious relic. This is actually a Russian relic that I'm going to talk about is the third imperial Easter egg by Fabergé. And this is about a $33 million relic. The Russian Revolution is famous for many things. The eventual rise of communism, the demises of the Romanov royal family, the last monarchs in Russian history, and the confiscation eventual sale of numerous golden bejeweled eggs created by master artist Peter Carl Fabergé by the incoming regime. Fabergé eggs not only hold remarkable value because of the cost of materials used in the creation and their fabulous designs, but also because they are the last remaining relics of the royal family in Russia. You would think that with the incredible notoriety, Fabergé eggs would be quite easy to identify and locate, but due to the secretive nature of Stalin's sales of the eggs to private buyers in Western countries, eight of the imperial eggs created for members of the Russian royal family are still missing today. Wow. You have this royal family. They have this artist, Peter Fabergé. He makes these eggs. And then you got Stalin comes in, takes over the country. He takes these eggs, sells them off. He collects the money Dictators rather than do. keeping it. Yeah. They were sold to Western countries. Well, they so had like, the money. Yeah, so you got like Americans buying and then supplying money to communists. Yeah, it's I, just kind of like dirty money, really dirty money. Yeah, well, yeah, again, money walks, private auctions. I guess I should have guessed that Fabergé was a person, but honestly, if you were to ask me before this podcast, I would have told you it was just the style of an egg, the artwork of an egg. I didn't realize it was the creator's name was Fabergé. Can't you replicate this creation today? Don't they do this today as an artwork? Oh, I'm sure people replicate it. I feel like I've seen the one. The word Fabergé eggs. I, yeah, honestly, I thought it was like chocolate. <laughs> no, well, at least I'm more on track than you are. But I knew that they were like a very delicate art style of an egg. And I think they are oh. made today. Like they're replicated, that artwork. And I don't think they're cheap anyways because still they're no. not cheap to purchase. But I think people professionally make the egg styled after the creator Fabergé. So you have Western people buying these eggs. So somehow it comes back, you know, so it right. comes back to the U.S. So when a man from the Midwest happened across the third Imperial Easter egg at a jumble sale, so I guess like a garage sale, the intention behind him spending $14,000 on acquiring this unique piece of art was not based on knowledge of art or Russian history, but from a desire to melt it down and profit from raw materials. That the egg consisted of. What? What did so he keep inside there? <laughs> well, he just thought, oh, here's raw materials that I can 
make something else. Like crafting. This is what they do in video games. They take they take an item, they break it down to get other items from it. Those who are video game nerds listening to this understand what I'm talking about. Like So upon appraisal, however, the unnamed man realized he had paid more than the egg's gold and jewels were worth. Fourteen thousand dollars. A lot of money. Is a lot of money, but he realized that what he bought wasn't worth in the raw materials fourteen thousand dollars. That's right. So he thought, Oh, I made a huge error and (laughs) lost a lot of money. So in desperation, the man searched the words egg and Vacheron Constantine, the words engraved around the clock. So on the artwork, he saw that he goes, yeah, let me look up what this might mean. Yeah. Yeah. So this Fabergé egg opens up about halfway to reveal a watch inside or a clock on the inside. So it closes and opens this gold egg, opens up to reveal a clock. Around that clock is the words Vacheron Constantine. And he stumbled across an article in a British newspaper. The egg he thought would lose him money was actually worth something in the region of $33 million in 2014. That's how much it was worth, but it was sold privately. Yeah. At an and unknown so the actual price. Unknown price. Wow. It's worth 33 but I guarantee sold he sold for, it for more. Yeah. Can you Google Vacheron Constantine? What, is, what does that mean? Sure. Is it somebody's name or? Yeah, is it a person, place, Oh, so Vacheron Constantine, it's the oldest manufacturer of fine watches. It's a Swiss luxury watch. Wow. Fabergé makes this egg, and inside of that egg, he had early watchmakers. Yeah. It's small. It's not It's not even a clock, really. It is literally the size of a small wristwatch, the diameter. They were founded in 1755. So there you go. Very cool. So even by the time it was commissioned to make this egg, they were around for quite a while. All right, so we didn't mention at the beginning of the episode what we do, Jason and I, is we take the best of something. Out of that best, there's always something that's the worst. So it's not necessarily in the order of how we present things and what have you. We understand in this list, yes, to go up in value, monetarily speaking. So Jason and I didn't want to say, well, of course, the worst thing would be the least valuable as far as purchases go. Well, that's no fun because then we're just talking about money. So how we're going to do it is basically we have these 10 items in your home, Jason. And it's like your own little museum of stuff in your home. But you have to get rid of one of them. I think this is the easiest way to do it. Which one is the least interest to you to keep for yeah, yourself? Yeah, I think the least, the least interesting. Right. So we'll go through the list really quick. So which one would you get rid of? So you have this display in your home to show your friends and family. Look at my museum of found stuff. And which one would you be the least, least interested in showing somebody? Okay. So you got your 61-pound gold nugget. You've got the uh, painting that covered the whole the wall, magnolias on a gold velvet cloth. You've got a copy of the Declaration of Independence, the, one of the original 200. You've got the uh, gold and jewelry and uh, other artifacts that were found in the field with the lost hammer called the Hoxney Hoard. You've got the black opal found in Australia. You've got a 20-pound, 11-pound, and a 14-pound Tazanite stone from Tanzania. You've got the Roman helmet, the copper Roman helmet with a face mask. Bronze. Bronze, thank you. Then you got the Staffordshire horde. It was the, it was the war horde. It's yeah, there's a gold, weapons, right. ornaments. It's beautiful collection. It's Again. an amazing collection. So if you want to see it, Google Staffordshire horde. Then you've got the, uh, the painting above the t- stovetop called Christ Mocked. Very interesting painting in its own right. Take a look at that online. And lastly, you have that Fabergé egg from Russia by... Peter Carl Fabergé with the clock inside. So, Jason, which one of these 10 
are you uh, taking out of your collection in your home? The Tanzanite stone. Ooh, really? Why that one? Yeah. It's just feels kind of boring to me. I mean, it's a beautiful stone and stuff, but the story behind it, the any historical significance, the wow factor just doesn't have the draw of some of these other uh, stories have. Yeah, so if you're showing people this, your museum, when you get to the Tanzanite stone, you're kind of like, it. Yeah, this guy, you know, he dug a few times and got lucky and found bigger pieces of the Tanzanite stone, which might sound similar to the opal, but the opal is gorgeous. Well, the opal is gorgeous. Exactly. You want to look at that. You want to hold it. You want to touch it. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I liked his story, even. His story of Last bucket of his career. On to, yeah. And holding on to it for 14 years. and In a kangaroo pouch under his bed. <laughs> it chipped away so out of the dentist tool. <laughs> that, to me, is a more intriguing storyline. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Tanzanite stone. The pictures are pretty bland, though it's rare. That's the thing. It is rare, and it's only formed in Tanzania, so its rarity makes it valuable, and that's just how some things work. Of a stone itself, I don't see much value in it. It doesn't look like much. I mean, people do mine for it and sell it. It's worth something. And it's, you know, obviously, it's probably used for jewelry and decorations. That's the supply and demand, right? The supply is rare, and the demand is high. So, But yeah, if it was on display in my home, like this guy was a miner, lucked out, man. He just struck gold or (laughs) struck Tanzanite gold twice, and he lucked out. But the stone itself isn't that impressive to really look at. That and the story behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got 30 kids, man. Wrap it up. All right. So, (laughs) all right. So there you go. He's got to find more Tanzanite. Yeah, he's got to find more Tanzanite. Because they're going to have grandchildren. Oh, boy. They're coming after him. Yeah, if each kid had two kids. Oh, my goodness. Those kids had two kids. Oh. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. I hope you enjoyed a little bit of a lighter episode on basically people striking it rich by happenstance and luck. So there you go. I'm going to buy a metal detector and take my chances. I think right after we hang up on this recording, I'm going to start Googling. You're going to Google metal detectors. Metal detectors. I'll be on a walk with my kids at the beach and they're, hey, look, it's Uncle Jason scouring the beach (laughs) pathetically in some torn clothes and it looks like he hasn't (laughs) shaved in five months. Uh, I find it. I will find it. That's not far from the truth, just minus the metal detector right now. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Remember, in front of every silver lining, there's a cloud. And today it was Tanzanite stones. (laughs) Yeah. Alligator Productions.